Welcome back to A Virtual View. Today I am joined by Blair McElroy, the Clinical Services Manager, and Maggie Lajani, the Head of Clinical Services, both from Veda Health. Thank you both for joining me today. Thank you for having us. We're excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to chat with you. Could you introduce yourselves to our audience, let them know a little bit about you? Uh, well, I'm Blair McElroy. Um, I am currently the Clinical Services Manager at Beta Health, and I've been in and around healthcare in a variety of capacities for about 18 years. And I started off in nursing as a teenage volunteer, actually, at a local nursery in a hospital. And from there, I did medical interpreting, worked in community settings, I was a cardiovascular ICU nurse, a whole variety of things. So it's been a fun journey. Wow, a lot of uh, different experiences. That's very cool. Yeah, and I'm Maggie. I have been in nursing for about 20 years. Um, Started out in labor and delivery. Most of my career has been in the NICU. And a few years into that, went back to school and got my master's in business. And about, I guess about 12 years ago, I'm kind of losing track of time, uh, (laughs) left left nursing at the bedside um, and got into the business side of things and doing outreach for our health system in Central Texas, visiting rural hospitals and nurses and physicians. And through that role, got into telehealth as we started to expand our maternal services into the rural area um, and just absolutely loved it. So was very lucky to get several opportunities to have different roles in telehealth and joined VEDA about a year ago and absolutely love this role as well. So happy to be here. Very cool. And I always like uh, chatting with folks who have a clinical background because I come from more of an academic background. So I find it very valuable to talk with people such as yourselves who do have more of that boots on the ground experience. Uh, I think that's the the ultimate sort of, of insider knowledge. So I love hearing more about that. So could you both tell me a little bit more about Veda Health? So Veda Health has been around for about seven years, I believe and has had several iterations kind of in the development of of their SaaS platform. Um, But we are co-founded by two amazing women, Tanvi and Nora. Nora is a physician and she is our boss, our chief medical officer. Um, And they really founded the company to bring care to patients between the traditional settings of the Mm -hmm. hospital and clinic, you know, seeing physicians in the clinic, nor as a physician really saw where there's, there were some gaps in care and being able to take care of patients, especially for chronic care management. And so partnered with Tombi who they are, they've been friends for a long time to kind of work in that space. So we have a SaaS platform for traditional, what you think of as RPM. We like to think that we do it a little bit differently, and we're happy to kind of talk about that. Veda really kind of combines that technical component um, that you think of for traditional RPM, matches it with behavioral science and AI components to really personalize the care that they provide for patients. And then we've got the clinical services team, that human component that layers on top of it that's optional for clients. They can use their own care team or they can tap into ours to help support their program. And then the analytics that are behind all of that really help drive um, a lot of the the growth and the process improvement and the quality improvement and outcomes. So in a nutshell, I would say that's who we are. We are extremely lucky that from a clinical component, 
about half of our company comes from a clinical background. So even from the head of our operations is clinical. We have an engineer who has a medical background. So we have a lot of that kind of combination or collaboration between the tech side and the the clinical side that really drives a lot of what we do and in, in keeping that focus on um, patient outcomes. Blair, anything that I missed? No, I think that covers it. Very cool. I like that you specifically mention analytics because I'm a big data nerd. And I think that's one of the things that really makes a program run better is understanding what do we do well? How do we preserve it? What can we do better? So I like that you specifically call that out. (laughs) Yeah. And we're happy to talk about that too. Uh, We kind of nerd out on it as well. Um, (laughs) And sometimes the data can be like overwhelming. There's so much to tap into. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we're lucky we all have such kind of varying backgrounds that we would say, well, in this role that I had, if I was working with us as a company, this is what I would love to see. And that's kind of the the lens that we think of things through. Great. So we touched on this a little bit briefly, but what sort of populations primarily are you serving? Is there a certain type that you see more than others? Well, we serve both health systems and uh, private practices. So whether that's a practice that's associated with a hospital or health system, or that's an independently owned practice, um, with the health systems, we really try to help them to scale their reach and support their patients outside the traditional setting of being in the hospital or in a provider's office. And we kind of act as an extension of their clinical team to make sure they're getting the best care for their patients. And that can be for Mm -hmm. a variety of of virtual care uh, programs. And we kind of customize those to meet the client's needs, the patient's needs, and the circumstances of their program. So a rural program is going to look very different than a program in the inner city or more of a affluent area. It's going to look very different than a lower socioeconomic status population. So we really tailor the needs of those programs for those health systems. And we do the same things for provider offices. We can really help them prioritize the patients they're seeing in the office and give them more time to focus on those patients so we can take on some of those other care needs outside of the office, which helps with the clinician fatigue with the overwhelmed sense of task list for the day of trying to get through all the patients and the phone calls and the my chart messages so we can kind of handle some of those things um, outside of the traditional office as well as educating the patient so a lot of times mm-hmm. we have patients that go in the office they're there for 15 minutes they have no idea what the doctor said they get home and they call us <laughs> and right so then they call <laughs> us and we explain we look at the chart we explain to them what the doctor said answer any questions and make them better able to advocate for themselves very cool i'm a big advocate of health literacy so that's good to hear and i'm sure that scalability is a concern when you're dealing with so many different uh, sort of population sizes i would suppose <laughs> definitely and i think sometimes it's hard for smaller offices or even large health systems that have the staff they need so right. we also can help them with staffing as well as training their own staff to make them prepared to handle the task yeah that can be a huge issue because when you're talking to Uh, a community that has like one provider, they're not going to want to put in the time to institute a telehealth program because they are already booked up. Uh, They're the only provider around. It's not like they have a ton of uh, bandwidth to invest in new technologies, even if they would eventually make their lives easier. Yeah, 100%. So this is a question I like to ask places like this. So have you existed since before the COVID pandemic? Yes. Yes. 
Go ahead, Blair. You've, you, Blair's been on the team for longer than me, so I'll let her take this one since before COVID. <laughs> yeah, definitely yeah. since before COVID. I would say uh, we were founded in 2016. So we were working with hospital system, health systems, as well as uh, private offices to care for their patients before the pandemic started. Granted, that's kind of changed and things look a little bit different now. But yeah, we were working before the pandemic. Yeah, I, I do like to ask people who have operated on both sides of this air quotes new normal that we're at, uh, what the major differences are and how their experience in telehealth looks different now than it did, say, five years ago. That's that's a good question. I have like so many things to answer. It's a like, big which topic. Which one do I start I with first? Uh, <laughs> you know, I was working on a, a cute side telehealth team before COVID hit. And then when it hit, we, and I think this is applicable for all of us who were in telehealth before and after before we were really trying to convince people that you could provide good, really good care through virtual programs. Um, Mm -hmm. And you were kind of begging people to give you a chance. Um, (laughs) And then during COVID, people were like attacking you, like, please come help us start this program. Uh, And it's like everything you ever wanted for someone to be on board with you. And then, and then you couldn't move fast enough. So uh, yeah, it was definitely a whirlwind for uh, for those of us that were in telehealth during COVID. And then second to that, what comes to mind is I would say the way that we thought of telehealth before COVID looks different now Mm -hmm. because of that, because of the adoption from both the physician side, the nursing side, the patient side, you know, we're just, we can design things, um, smarter, can be more intuitive with the way that we create programs. We can really think about the operational impact where, you know, before we were solely focused on adoption or we were solely focused on ensuring that we were meeting quality standards or being able to really provide good care. We know that those things are true now. The adoption is there. And so now we are able to take it up another level and make it really smart, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, improve the operations, identify those efficiencies have workflow optimization. And that's where the analytics come in. That's where we get really excited, really measure those outcomes where before we just kind of intuitively knew that they were, we were providing care and that was better than, than not being able to access these patients. So I think it's an exciting time for a lot of reasons. We do like to call ourselves OG telehealth people for those of us (laughs) that were like in telehealth before versus like the new telehealth people. But uh, yeah, we've, we've both been around for a little while for that. Anything I missed there, Blair? No, I think that covers it. I think, you know, along the lines of what you're saying, there are a lot of programs are just reevaluating the needs and the outcomes and, and what they're actually doing, like whether are they're able to optimize things, make them better. So I think it's a great opportunity for anyone who maybe threw together their program during the pandemic, like many systems had to do, to kind of take the time now to see how are things running? Can we optimize them? Are our staff trained to do what they need to do? And, you know, what outcomes do we actually want to meet? Not just we have a program in place. Yeah. Yeah. No, I have talked to so many people where they're like, sustainability was not a concern during the pandemic because this was the only option. We weren't looking at ROI. We weren't looking at patient outcomes. But now we've got that tidal wave of data that's coming, uh, which I hope will will support uh, all the good work you and people like you have been doing for a long time now. So let's talk a little bit about your health education series. Could you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, I think that's another thing that has come out of what we learned from the pandemic. A lot of programs were put together, both RPM and just telehealth in general, virtual programs, telenursing, out of that urgent necessity 
um, to respond to an emergency because of that. And, and I think because of the nature of nursing in general, that we're adaptive, we were just as a, as a community, we were just thrown into new experiences, new units, new platforms and, and asked to just make it work. And we did. Um, however, what that means is that we weren't trained really well on how to, how to provide care virtually. We were, we've been very fortunate at Veda Health that as we hire nurses, Blair runs planning that education and that training and, and being responsible for that. And she's a very hands-on manager. So she would ensure that new nurses were trained, were comfortable, understood the challenges and um, the different solutions in the way that you think about doing a nursing assessment, let's say virtually, and did a lot of role-playing with them. And so our teams were really well-prepared for that. However, what we found in our data is that because we have programs that are supported by clients' clinical teams and we have programs that are supported by our clinical teams, our patient engagement numbers were extremely different when we compared those two. So Mm -hmm. client teams that were run by clients' clinical teams, the patient engagement was at or below 50% where teams that were uh, programs that were run by our clinical teams, those that patient engagement was sustained above 80% and for longer periods of time. So over 12 months, which is kind mm-hmm. of unheard of, but whenever you yeah. um, attach that to the financial return, let's say, or even the quality outcomes and clinical outcomes of those patients are significant. Mm-hmm. So we did a brainstorm, um, a multi-team brainstorm. We had engineers in there, our operations team, our product team, our sales team, and did a brainstorm about why that might be. And one of the things that came out of that was the way that we do training. So we did some internal discussions about how we wanted to address this. Um, and we decided we wanted to share that. We wanted We wanted to make it possible for all nursing teams who are working in a virtual setting or all clinical teams to have access to to really good training. Because the truth is, if you look out there, there's not much. And Mm -hmm. teams were just making do and they were just having nurses in virtual care train the next nurses in virtual care. So that's kind of where, where we came with the idea to develop it. And then Blair is taking what she's been using to train our teams and creating a program that we can then share with others. And, and Blair, if you want to talk about kind of what's involved in that, I think that'd be great. Yeah, definitely. So along the lines of what Maggie was saying, many times we would talk to potential clients or other health systems and they would tell us, you know, we don't have anything to use to train our team. We're looking for something to train our team. We have our own nurses that we want to use. We want to use your platform with our own nurses, but we're really struggling to figure out how we can do that because we don't have anything to train them. And so kind of hearing that, plus with our own internal conversations, really helped us to kind of tailor the goals of what we wanted to do for this education. And we realized that whether you're the nurse, you are the clinician, as in the physician that's providing care for the patient, if you are the nurse at bedside and your patient is receiving virtual care from another nurse somewhere else, you need to be educated on what virtual care is, how it works and, and you know what happens with it. And there are so many things out there that teach you what RPM is, what telehealth is, what CCM is, you know, what hospital at home is, but not how to do it. And so mm-hmm. we wanted to make sure that we could provide education, not just for the staff of, you know, clients that we're working with and the systems we're working with, but also for the general market. If there's a nurse at the bedside who says, hey, you know what, I want to be a telehealth nurse. I have no Mm -hmm. idea what that means. 
<laughs> we want to make sure that they are equipped to understand what that means before they go into that first interview. And I'm sure that's incredibly valuable that it's been developed by people such as yourselves who do have that clinical experience. So you know exactly what goes into it. You're not just reading things off and making assumptions. A hundred percent. Yeah, I, I think sometimes, and you know, many of us are, are guilty of it, but in healthcare, we have educational modules and you're like a nurse, a doctor, there was not nine, one healthcare provider that was here that looked at any of this. And so you're just <laughs> clicking through like someone in an office wrote this and I'm not interested mm-hmm. in reading this at all. And so I think that's why it's important to have people who are actually doing the job who are actually looking at the quality to make sure that the outcomes are accurate for that job, who are involved in creating the content. Yeah. When we create anything educational as like a larger telehealth resource center program, uh, we like to use the phrase, nothing about us without us. So if you're making a resource that has to do with a certain group of providers, a certain group of people, you should get feedback from them at the very least and ideally have them involved with development because you shouldn't be making something about a population or about a profession if you have no feedback from them. So let's talk about what topics you have available so far in this education series. The first one that we have out is about telehealth assessment. Um, And so this one was published in October and it is really the core of taking your in-person nursing skills and applying those to a virtual setting. And so, for instance, many of us have talked about you can walk into a room with a patient and sense very quickly what's going on or or know where you need to focus your attention. Um, You're using all of your senses whenever you walk into a room um, and, and start assessing a patient. That changes quite a bit whenever you're doing a virtual assessment. And so it really goes through all of the considerations, the different senses that you might use um, and and those assessments, and then goes system to system. So as a focused assessment and, and walks through each of those. So you can start to feel more comfortable transitioning those in-person skills to virtual. Um, Blair's currently working on the second Blair, you want to tell us a little bit about what that's about? Yeah, so this one is about patient-centered education. It's actually called A Nurse's Roadmap to Personalized Learning. Because mm-hmm. unlike when you are talking to someone face-to-face, you can kind of pick up on cues, maybe by their accent, or you know they tell you about something about their occupation to figure out the best way to personalize care for them. You can see that they have a lot of family support with them in the room, or you see that they're by themselves during a really crucial period of their health. So without those kind of insights in the virtual setting, it's really important to figure out what information you need to assess, you need to gather in order to provide the most personalized education so that the patient will actually apply it. And then they can make those lifestyle changes or they can make the changes that really affect their healthcare outcomes. So that's what this this second module is really focused on. Um, we have a a series of eight so that the next few are about relationship building, like building rapport with the patients, because again, it's not the same as doing it face to face, really helping the Mm -hmm. patients to uh, make changes. So some motivational interviewing, active listening. And then we have one that is specifically for physicians about navigating like the challenges and opportunities for remote care, because many times they may not be in the room when the decision is made that the patients are going to be enrolled in a remote care program. So they need to understand what it is the nurses are doing, what it is that they need to do, and why this matters for the physicians. Because having that buy-in from the patient's own doctor is so important. Um, And then a few of the other ones are um, reviewing um, and providing inclusive remote care, so cultural competency, 
ways to use HEDIS uh, with remote care and kind of overall um, an overall module about engagement nursing. So really elevating remote care through this specialized training. Very cool. I think it's really important that you're putting so much emphasis on kind of like the relationship building and the things that people might call soft skills, because so much of that interaction happens through small talk and through observation. But that's definitely very different when you're operating through remote communications technology like we are here today. Yeah, I think it's kind of twofold. Um, And Blair and I have spent a lot of time talking about this with our team. There's a technology component that you have to overcome. There's also the, you know, we normally think of taking people, taking care of people within our community. You have, with virtual care, you have the opportunity to to be taking care of someone across the country in a rural area where maybe you're in an urban area or any combination of such. And so being aware of the challenges around that and being just conscientious of it and inclusive of it, as Blair mentioned, can make a big difference in your ability to provide care for a patient. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it is a soft skill, but I think it's also without being addressed, you just miss such an opportunity. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're excited. We're excited to be able to share that. Yeah, very cool. And so... How did you come to the conclusions that these were the topics that you wanted to cover in this series? Well, we talked with several nurses who were in the remote care space to really look at what did they feel like was missing. If they could have taken a course or, or had some education before they started in their roles, what would they wanted to learn? We did also some research in the market with a variety of healthcare systems to see what types of topics would you like for your staff to be trained on? What things do you train them on already? What things are missing? To kind of really get a good feel for what the need was. And then we kind of sat down and identified how can we prioritize the items that are most needed and that would be most beneficial for a broad um, group of people. So not just an RPM nurse, but the virtual care nurse who's doing EICU, the nurse who's doing mm-hmm. hospital at home, a whole variety of virtual care settings to make sure that we could kind of cover topics that would be the most beneficial for everyone. Yeah, because there are certain things that I'm sure could use more training on, but they're so narrow and specific that it's going to be applicable to like 12 people. Exactly, exactly. And and that's what we wanted to avoid. Yeah. So talk a little bit about why it's so important for professionals to be trained specifically in these telehealth-related topics. I I think from coming from the bedside or from, you know, hands-on patient care, you expect if a cardiologist comes in the room, they know how the structure of the heart works. They know about the cardiovascular system. You know, an ICU nurse, they know hemodynamics. So it should be the same for telehealth. We should have an expectation that those who are working in telehealth or in virtual care have the same education because it is a specialty and they need to know how to provide care for patients in the setting. You know, I always say, we don't send a med surge nurse into a room to deliver a baby and expect that to be successful. (laughs) So why do we send a nurse into a virtual care setting without education? And then on the flip side, you can't expect quality patient care if the person providing the care hasn't had good quality education. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really uh, excellent way to put it. Very succinct, too. Love that. And uh, I feel like during the pandemic, we did get sort of a skewed view because there were doctors, nurses, all sorts of uh, healthcare professionals who were just picking up their iPad and turning on FaceTime. being like, all right, let's do it. <laughs> A hundred percent. Yep. It was definitely born. Yeah. The, we figured it out, right? It was born out of necessity and we did the best right. that we could. There's a, there's an opportunity to, to continue and improve in that area. Uh, and I think that's the case for a lot of people 
that's the feedback that we got as we interviewed hospital leaders and, and nursing leaders to kind of build this is, yeah, I would like to take this back and, and re-educate the teams that are already doing virtual nursing. And so I think there's an opportunity there, even if you're already in this space, to, to pause and, and to kind of reset and kind of elevate the care that you're giving. So, Yeah, and I think we're in a good time for that right now because of the increased acceptance of telehealth, but also things are less frantic right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about the future of telehealth and health education. So do you think we're going to see a greater demand for this kind of thing going forward? Yeah, definitely. I think in the in the case of telehealth, I think it will continue to grow. I think we've noticed that patients have adopted it and accepted it at higher rates than um, than we would have expected to to be maintained. Um, and I think we've also noticed that it's an excellent way to increase access to patients. And we've always talked about that before, but now we really have the data to show that, and that really makes a difference at a population health level. Um, Mm -hmm. So we're really improving the care um, and the health of patients for whole communities now. Um, And so, yeah, I do think that telehealth will continue to grow and it, and it's really about how do we think about making it smarter so that it's not a burden, it's not a barrier to providing care, but it actually enhances it. And Mm -hmm. so um, like whenever we think about AI and telehealth, let's say it's really about I know sometimes that can be kind of scary for people and, and you know, for nurses even and, and uh, clinicians, it's not about replacing that human component, right? It's not about replacing how we diagnose patients or how we take care of patients or assess patients, but it's really about how we spend more of our time taking care of patients by using the AI to replace that administrative burden or those administrative tasks. And so we really think about it as a tool in our toolbox to be able to do that and work more efficiently, work smarter. And I think when you think about, you know, the future of telehealth education, that's something that after we do this first module around engagement nursing that we'd like to to kind of put into a module as well and mm-hmm. really help educate nurses um, and give them the understanding about how AI is, is a benefit to us and the mm-hmm. way that we deliver care. So... So yeah, we've got lots of ideas for the future of telehealth education as well. And I gl- I'm glad you're being proactive about thinking about how, how AI is going to affect the healthcare landscape, because I do think a lot of people are, there's trepidation involved with uh, moving forward with AI programs and machine learning technology. But I think it's it's what you said, like it can be a great tool for cutting that administrative burden down on providers and giving them the opportunity to spend more time doing what they're actually really good at, which is taking care of patients. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I think most of us that have been in the hospital or in healthcare system for a long time, um, we started out with paper charting, um, which was like, <laughs> makes me feel really old and I don't think I'm that old, but, uh, you know, I remember whenever we went to EHRs and we thought that was going to be such a big lift and, and now we just can't imagine going back. But even at the time I specifically had a nurse practitioner in our unit that would count the number of clicks that I made her do. Cause I had to implement the EHR nurse system and she would report to me at the end of every shift, how many times she had to click a button And I mean, it was such an administrative burden for her. She felt like it was taking so much time for her 
away from the bedside. And I think that was true. It, Mm -hmm. it felt true because in some sense it was true. Um, and I think a lot of technology, whenever we put it into place, there is that administrative burden and it does take time away from the bedside. Um, historically, whenever we start, we put the technology in place and we start to try to fix it. A lot of times that fix is focused on how to fix it for the physicians and the providers and the nurses end up really carrying a lot of that administrative burden on their workflow. And I think that's a lot of the reason why we're getting burned out over time. Right. So for us, you know, I mentioned that our clinical team really works really closely with our product and our engineering team to think about how we provide enhancements and, and how we continue to prov- uh, improve and, and make our workflow smarter. And we sort of think of that in three different buckets. The first one is about that nursing workflow and operations like we talked about and really giving that nurse more time to spend taking care of the patient. We do that through smart workflows. So you're able to take care of patients in many different programs, all areas of the country, um, different condition types. They'll be on different care pathways, different escalation pathways being seen by different providers, but all of that is built into the technology and it's Mm -hmm. smart technology. So it will help tell you where they are in that pipeline onboarding or consenting or assessments or education. So you can quickly go in and find a patient and see what they need and provide that care. Or you'll quickly be able to see which patients are at highest risk for an acute exasperation and be able to intervene with that or provide that escalation to a physician and intervene with some care changes, care pathway changes. The second part is around that is really focused on the patient. So thinking about that patient's um, what we call digital thumbprint or a digital phenotype and delivering care to them that is meaningful in the way that they're going to receive it. So our technology learns about the patient as it, at the patient interacts with the system. So if I'm mostly responding to long form content and Blair's mostly responding to videos and maybe you, Danielle, are responding mostly to surveys. Well, then Mm -hmm. we're going to provide your education in that way that you're more likely to respond to. So that way your engagement is going to be higher. And then the third way is kind of related to that. And then as we get feedback from you about your conditions, we call it prosper prosper will start to deliver you that content that is personalized to your care journey. So not every heart failure patient needs the same things. Not every hypertension patient needs the same things. Not every pregnancy hypertension patient needs the same things, right? We all, we are not one chronic care condition. We're not one acute care condition. We are made up like we're all just different. And so that care pathway is also always learning and getting feedback and and providing a personalized care journey. And so I think for nurses, when we think about historically, you know, I was a NICU nurse. My patients all kind of fell in the same kind of bucket. Um, Maybe you're a cardiovascular nurse. Your patients fell into the same kind of bucket. Well, we don't take care of patients that way anymore virtually. And so this really makes it possible for our nurses to do that and to do it smartly and spend more time with the patients in a meaningful way. I'm sure that's something that's going to be vital as we continue to run up against provider shortages. And we're going to have to be more creative about how we're using our, our health professionals. Well, thank you both for coming on today and talking about virtual nursing. I really learned a lot and I appreciate it so much. 
Yeah, we were happy to be here. Thank you for, for inviting us and having us on. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, thanks so much. listening to a virtual view. You can find more information about today's episode in the show notes below. If you would like to support our podcast, please rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. Do you have any questions or topics you'd like us to discuss? If so, contact us at info at umtrc.org or through the form found in the show notes. Also, we'd like to give a special thanks to our editor, Tristan Yoder. Finally, a special thanks to the Health Resources and Service Administration, also known as HRSA. Our podcast series, A Virtual View, is sponsored in part by HRSA's Telehealth Resource Center program, which is under HRSA's Office of the Administrator and the Office for the Advancement of Telehealth. The content and conclusions of this podcast are those of the UMTRC and should not be construed as the official policy of or the position of, nor should any endorsements be inferred by HRSA, HHS, or the U.S. government. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Thank you.